0: Love Talk Radio
1: Hello Hello everyone This is Sabra And seems like we have
0: Hi Hi, everyone
1: Seems like we have uh, Almost the full crew
0: how you guys doing? Yeah,
2: how are you this morning?
1: Okay, okay how you doing? Doing, well. I'm doing great. Great. Can Good. you guys, can you all hear me? Yes, yes I can hear you fine. Well, I guess you can. Absolutely. Great, great. And thank you so much for uh for calling in. I, I truly appreciate that. So uh it's eleven oh one. I'll go ahead and uh just get started. And um
0: of course uh we have very special guests
1: this morning, and I really appreciate uh, you ladies uh, joining us today. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to the show, especially those that have called in and those who are listening to the replay, um, I thank you for your time and listening. So, welcome to the Black Women, Widows, and Powered Blog Talk Radio, and this is our third show, and we have special guest speakers today who will be gracing us with giving at least uh, giving us at least 30 minutes of their time. It may go over, it may not, but we will see. So as you know, the show is about widowhood, and we speak to widows who have experienced a time in their life of grief, specifically uh, the loss of their spouse. And our last two shows were really great. We spoke to a widow of, uh, whose husband was lost on the El Faro um, cargo ship uh, two years ago as a result of uh, Hurricane Joaquin, and also we talked to uh, an African-American black widower, Andre Cox. So this is our third interview, and we're going to be talking about the Unwelcome Committee, and the book follows the journey of three women uh, through one of life's most difficult challenges, and that's becoming a young young widow. Um, Maureen Bobo, Cassidy Williams. Yes, I'm here and Khadija yeah. Ali, they share three different perspectives of uh, how becoming a widow and dealing with the process of grief and how it changed their lives forever. So uh, this book is not only significant to losing um, a spouse, but to also comprehend and grasp the outlook of grief overall. So everyone will lose, as we know, someone close to him at uh, at their point in life. So we want to latch on to someone or something they can relate to. So these ladies cover various topics, such as what happened in the beginning, uh, single parenting, finances, balance, coping, mechanisms, digression, resentment, complica- complicated grief, thank you, uh, gaining to be understood, and so much more. And I'll tell you, the book be- was, although the book was, um, although, uh, the book was uh, let's see, what, around 80 pages, i tell you, you guys put in a wealth of information so, of course, uh, the first chapter that I would like to touch on is what happened. Uh, just so the audience can, can better understand where I'm coming from, um, I will be reading various excerpts from the book uh, just to rely on you as well, if you don't mind, to tell us your story in roughly uh, three minutes or less, if you can, uh, for each question. So is that okay? Yes, ma'am. All right. Yes. All right. We are going to go with what actually happened. And so the first person that I would like to uh uh ask a question to is Maureen Bobo.
0: How are you? I'm wonderful Sabra. Am oh, I pronouncing it right? Great. Sabra. I love yes, you girl. Yes. <laughs> I love you. I love you. But I, oh, I just
1: it's been a while. So I <clears throat> excuse me. What I'm gonna do is, you know, your husband passed away from heart disease and, and I'm so very sorry for your loss. I'm so very sorry for uh, Chastity, your loss as well, and Khadija, because even though I know it's been a few years, but nevertheless, um, I feel you and um, my heart goes out to you. So, Thank you. how has, you know, I read your chapter in it hits home. So, how has heart disease affected you since it affected your way of life?
0: Um. Wow, that is a great question. And I wanted to begin by saying I just thank you so much for having us on here, and I appreciate the work that you're doing in the community because it's so needed. Um, meanwhile, heart disease. Well, my husband Martin was diagnosed at uh, age 34. He had, uh, well, with chronic heart, heart disease. He had uh, had been having chest pains. Um, we were only married about four years at that point and uh went to the uh in fact went to the, uh emergency room and was told that he had three uh, blo- uh he had to come go in for what they called the a catheterization because uh he had some abnormal abnormalities going on in his heart and so uh when they did a, had another appointment and did the procedure they found that he had three uh well, mostly almost like 98 arteries and had to have um, a triple bypass surgery. This was like 1999. Um, then, it, you know, it was really scary. Uh, it was just we were both very young in our 30s, and um, this started the path of heart disease. And I didn't know anything about heart disease because in my family that wasn't the issue uh, as far as medical concerns. And so um, – it took us on a journey of 10, almost 11 years that the majority of our marriage was, uh, how do I put it, uh, dealt with uh, his heart disease and the ins and outs and downs and ups of that. But way it's affected my life, um, and ultimately, sadly, in um, 2010, April 7th, Martin succumbed to that, that chronic heart disease. But... Uh, It changed me because I was concerned and I had read research and things that often um, people who pass away, spouses who pass away, uh, there's a lot of research that says that the spouse is a way of similar type uh, medical concerns. And so I really was concerned about myself and my health and my children and who would take care of them. So it kind of changed a lot of the way of how I uh, focused and how I uh, handle my life and my health.
1: Wow, you know. wow. And I know I know that had to have been um, affected. It must have had to affect the family. Um, your chapter was just so, you know, I can relate. I can relate to the chapter. Um, we have to take care, especially as, you know, uh, people of color, we have to take care of our hearts, you know, Um, I have high blood pressure that runs in my family and heart disease and strokes. And so I definitely, definitely feel you. And um, one thing in the book, you know, on page 12, you said something that was so, it was an eye-opener. You know, it wasn't a cliche. It was something I've never heard before. But I loved it, and I posted it, too, on Facebook. You know, on page 12, you have, early on, the grief waves can overtake you. I felt like I would drown. Wow, can you can you explain that? Um, what do you mean by that? people
0: who have lost, lost, yes, I would love to. People who have lost a, a loved one, a spouse, or something, someone close to you, um, like that. uh It for one, people who have not experienced that, it's hard to explain to them. But those out there who are listening, who they know what I mean. Okay. So when you look at the waves, if you ever—well, I live in Ohio and we don't have waves like that—but if you ever looked at a picture or looked on TV, waves come, they they raise and they uh, they get to the height and they subside. When you first with that person and the blow is, it, it feels like it's going to take you under. In fact, I did go under, um, and it just like it's, you're going to not live or survive. Okay. And so, but then the longer it goes, because like I said, for me it's been seven years. The the waves go and they come and they subside and they go. It's not that the waves change, but you change. And so it's like, okay, say six months out from him passing away, I may not. Have felt like I could even turn over in my bed, which is a lot of times happens, mm. and it just was going to take me under, and I just didn't know what I was to do. But maybe when I was like four years out, not that I didn't get different feelings, but I've changed. So those brief ways mm. carve you into what you, I say, are becoming, because we're all becoming. And I look back right. over the last seven years, I'm so different, and it's just all—I don't know how to explain it. Um, Destiny, if you wanna chime in on that because I really I try to give a word picture. You know? Oh yeah, Yeah, no, you described it you described it great.
1: Uh, Right. That is awesome. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. This book was was filled with so many cute nuggets that I, I I had to write about it. You know, I had to ask you ask you ladies about it and there's other things in here as well, so Um, Don't worry, Khadija and Cassidy, you're going to get your turn. Believe me. (laughs) Uh, Maureen, um, also you have uh, in the book, you, you say, I have what they call complicated grief in that I miss Martin, but at times I'm very angry with him because he didn't take care of himself to prolong his life. And he stopped listening to my suggestions to help our family. He let selfishness rule. I get mad at myself because I wasn't mature enough to realize that there is much more to being a wife. Then what I thought I knew, which wasn't much, if that makes sense. Meanwhile, it's the worst thing to lose a spouse when the relationship is broken. And you openly talked about your relationship. Um, you, also, you also mentioned, you know, then when the husband and wife passes away, all that is left is regret along with severe grief. Um, could you expound on that a bit, you know, your relationship, and and how do you feel right now? Do you feel any guilt or regret at this moment?
0: No, I don't, because um, I depend a lot on well, everything is on my faith. I'm a Christian. And over the seven years, I've, God has processed me to the instantly, <laughs> and I just look back and I just, not to laugh, but just to say I've, uh, Uh, manage my feelings. Now, like I said before, early on, the feelings would take me under because I had severe guilt about how our marriage ended because we weren't, I always say we weren't reconciled to each other, although we were, you know, still married and still living together, but the marriage was broken, put it like that. Just as life happens and we just, I wanted I was praying for us to come back to the, each other and mend our marriage, but it just did not happen God had another plan. And so I've accepted that. Um, I look back at now lessons learned because right now I'm moving forward in my life and just at a point where I want to help other people who have gone through similar, similar experiences as me. And so there are, I won't go into the, all the details, but there are a lot of things. In relationships, it does happen. We had to, we, I um, I don't know, the, the marriage was broken and the complicated grief comes because I miss him and I miss the fact that um, I would think and look at my children and I would say the first thing that would come out of my mind when he first passed away was my, which was so heartbroken and crushed my spirit, my black kids don't have a black father. That was huge to me. It was like. <laughs> wow. And so I don't know about anybody else, but that just, that whole thing is what, which really would take me under because it's like my poor children, my poor children. And so um, the complicated part in being angry was, yes, he knew he had heart disease and doctors would tell him he could have prolonged his life. And then I get mad at myself because we were, you know, we had struggles that uh, I think if we both would have been uh, less selfish and more humble, and just came to each other to try to mend our relationship. To me, I would say, Oh, yeah, we could have maybe I could have worked together with him, and we could have some of the stress probably from our relationship. I believe was part of uh, why he uh, passed away so early, you know. And that was a lot of guilt, but like I said, over, I have, I've had seven years. And I don't put time right. and limits on grief. I'll never do that. But I really believe over the years I've really been processed, and I'm at a, I'm at a point of peace in my life. That's what I'm at. I'm at peace.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so very much uh, for it's that. No and I'm going to go on to uh, Khadija's story. And, again, we're still in the what happened phase. And, again, Khadija, I'm so very sorry for your loss. Um my sincere condolences again. I know it's been uh, you know several years, but um, for, for the with the passing of of your uh, husband Ali. So if you can, uh, can you tell us a little bit about um, you know I had posted on Facebook about how the respiratory therapist came in and how he shook his head. And when I read that, I I could relate. I really could relate because. Uh, even though they're doctors or they're in the service field, in the hospital field, some still do not know how to relate um, when it comes to grief and death. Um, How did you feel at that moment? And I'll go ahead and read it. You wrote, the respiratory therapist came in shortly afterward and assessed his condition and shook his head. He callously turned up the oxygen to the highest level and then threw up his hand and left the room. And you said you were mortified and hurt. Explain yeah, that. I mean, you know, how would you feel
0: it? <laughs> yeah, no, thank no. you so much, Saber, for having us here today and uh, giving us an opportunity to share our stories. And yeah, in that moment, I was really mortified because um, yeah. the expectation that you have when you're in a hospital setting is that the people who are in charge of your care are people who care about other human beings and so yes. you know just to see this person who had been coming in for you know the past couple of weeks you know administering oxygen for my husband to see his reaction at the end of his life um i, I i've never experienced anything like that and i just I, I literally, I can actually still see myself sitting in the chair next to my husband's bed and I can see the guy's face clearly. I can see his body movements and he threw his hands up mm. and he walked out mm. and I just was like, wow. Um,
1: wow. And there yeah. were
0: more instances, there were more uh, inc- incidents in mm. the hospital with with the chaplains, and even with his doctor, where they were just really callous and cold, and it was a matter of fact.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I really am. Um, and your husband, he, he passed away from colon cancer, correct?
0: Yes, he did. Um, back yeah. in 2005, maybe 2004, he had um, gone in for a physical, uh for his job he was uh on his way to becoming a firefighter. And of course, you know, they do blood work and you know, you take a physical and really anemic. He was severely anemic. So much so that they thought I
1: think we lost you. Hello? He was anemic. Yes,
0: I'm here. You're, You're talking Khadija? Mm. Mm-hmm. He I think
2: we lost her.
0: The doctor thought that he had diverticulitis. And so he says, Oh, mm. you know, it's probably just diverticulitis, you know, we'll go in and do a colonoscopy and, you know, just check it and make sure. And when they went in, um, they went in both ends. They went through his mouth, they also went through his anus, and when they went down, I believe it was through his mouth is where they actually saw it. So when they went up through his anus, they didn't see anything. But when they went down through his mouth, the particular area that it was laying in, he was able to see it. So had he not done both ends, you know, he might have just been through his anus and said, oh, everything's fine, and not found anything. Uh, So, But we were shocked. We were shocked. My husband was uh, 34. Um, We didn't know he had a family history. And it's interesting because his okay. mother—they found it in his mother a month after they found it in him. And so his mother and and he both kind of went through chemotherapy together. And uh, he did chemotherapy yeah. for six months. And uh, at at a point he was uh, declared cancer free. And then I would say yeah. about maybe yeah. maybe six months to a year. Uh, it came back. And when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. And, um, mm. you know, he passed away.
1: Wow. Yeah. Oh, and, 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 you know, you also talk about having being told that he had cancer. I can relate as well. Um, mm-hmm. Your husband, it, you know, I read that your husband, he was still woozy uh, mm-hmm. when, you, when you were told correct. Um, did he yeah. fully comprehend that? Did he fully comprehend that statement?
0: I don't think at that moment, again, like as I'm talking about it, I, I'm envisioning us, and it's been almost 10 years for me, but I can envision mm. um, that whole day <laughs> to a T. Uh, yeah. We was sitting in the doctor's office, and, you know, he came in, and my husband was still woozy, and he sat down, and he started to talk, and then he just kind of looked up and said, it's cancer, and he showed us the picture. It was a, you know, a huge mass sitting right, you know, in his colon. And I think at that moment uh, we were both in shock, and my husband, again, he was under anesthesia still. So I don't think either one of us really, really grasped what was going on in that moment. We kind of just heard the news. Um, got up, got it, you know, walked out the office, got in the elevator, and I think he said something like, you know, wow, I, I you know, I need a minute to process that or I, I'm still, like, woozy or something. And, you know, I remember driving him home and him kind of sleeping it off and, you know, of course, they gave us a bunch of pamphlets on cancer and the different stages and you know the the survival rates for each stage and we kind of immersed ourselves in educating ourselves about like what this was and it and we kind of went along as time went on, very optimistic, very optimistic and. we went to see the surgeon, you know, the surgeon was going to, you know, do the surgery and, you know, even the, the surgeon was optimistic. And um, it wasn't until he actually had the surgery. And I believe I talk a little bit about that. I remember the surgeon coming down the hallway after him doing everything to give us a status report. And I just looked at him and he had his head down and I thought, oh my gosh, that can't be good. You know, normally, you know, the surgeon comes in and they tell you whatever it is or uh, I got everything or whatever. And, um, you know, when he came in the room to to talk to me and my mother-in-law and father-in-law, you know, he told us that um, it was in his lymph nodes and that it was actually in his liver. And, you know, they were going to check it to see what stage it was. But I just got this sense that it wasn't good. That that it wasn't going to just end with him having surgery. Because that in the beginning, that's what we thought. Okay, he'll have surgery. They'll take it out. That's it. We won't have to deal with it anymore. But um, that wasn't to be. Hmm.
1: And you know, I definitely can understand how that was. Um, you know, I was told uh, my husband had. He was. You know, they did a biopsy, and he was still was recovering and the doctor took me in the office alone and told me so I had to be the one to tell my husband and when I read your um, you know that statement it, it immediately just brought me back to wow I remember having to tell him and he was woozy and he was I don't really think he fully grasped but you know he just heard the word cancer and then he just you know um, fell asleep in the car so uh, mm-hmm. I definitely had to find out how that was because you know I can really and uh thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh moving on to um uh Cassidy, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am doing well. And uh your chapter as well. You know, um you have two you had you had boys and your husband he drowned. I, I my sincere condolences. Um, the story was, it just brought me to tears. It brought me to tears. Um, it was a different, you know, he didn't die of cancer. He went somewhere, you know, to have fun one day and then he didn't come back. Can you kind of tell right. us what happened? Sure. Um,
2: first I want to thank you as well for having us on your show and providing a platform for us to share our stories. It's much appreciated. Oh, absolutely, Um, absolutely. um well, um, it was just a normal day, coming home from work, and, um, you know, got home and um, settled and started cooking dinner, and he arrives home from um, work as well, and I'm getting the boys situated, they're doing their homework, and um, he he tells me he got this phone call um, from a friend that he, uh, ironically, had ran into at the grocery store three weeks prior um, that he hadn't seen for probably four years, five years. Um, and he said that he had asked if, you know, he'd mind, you know, coming out and checking out his new boat he got to go onto the lake. And, um, you know, something was wrong with it, but once they figured it out, they would want to go and take it out onto the water. And my husband, being the, the man he was, he never turned anyone down that asked for help or, you know, said, hey, can you come do this? And he was like, sure, open arms, you know. So, you know, in the, in the midst of this, I'm, dinner's almost done. And, you know, the, I'm trying to get the kids, you know, everything squared away with them and I kind of get irritated. And I said, you know, you haven't seen this guy for years and you're going to drop the hat and go and, you know, dinner's almost yeah. done. You just need to stay. And why, why don't you just hook up with him over the weekend and go see his boat? Why do you have to be the one, you know? And so um, he kind of got irritated with me. I got irritated with him and, um sadly i mean he we left it wasn't bad terms but it was not great so he left out the door and i was irritated i'm like fine whatever and okay see you in a little bit he's like i'll only be about an hour i said okay whatever you know so then you Mm. know he left and about an hour and 15 minutes an hour and a half had went by and i had not you know he had not came home and i had not seen him um so um all of a sudden I get this knock at the door. Well no, I take that back. I, I called you know, I called several times and there was no answer on his cell phone. And I'm just at that moment I almost knew like something's up. Like, you know, he would have answered his phone by now and he told me he'd be back within the hour. Why is he not answering his phone? So, you know, of course I'm calling it repeatedly, trying to figure out where he's at, what's going on. <clears throat> and within that time frame I get a knock at the door. And I you know peek out, and it's the police and of course, at that moment i'm i'm it's like almost like the movies um and my first reaction wasn't even close to why they were really there. My reaction was like, you know, something that was ridiculous, like that wouldn't even be, but like, Oh my gosh, did I have a warrant that I didn't pay it or a ticket? I didn't pay at 19 and they're coming after me or arrow, you know, it was something so stupid that wouldn't even be real, but that's where my mind went. So, you know, I opened, they knock on the door and I opened up the door and they're like, you know, Miss Chassidy Williams. And I'm like, yes. And um, they're like, can you please step out? Because my door was big enough to where they could see into the kitchen and they saw the two boys sitting there eating dinner. And so I guess they're, you know, they don't want to say anything in front of them. Well, at this point, the police officer tells me there has been an accident. Um, And again, I didn't grasp exactly what he meant. I'm like, okay, what, what hospital do I need to go to? where is it that I need to be? Where's he at? What, you know, I, I didn't think of that. He, what happened, he had went under, he had got into the water and went under and they could not find him. He never resurfaced. So, you know, my first reaction was to get into the, get to the kids. And I didn't want them to know anything that was going on. Called my neighbor that was four doors down that had kids and they're down there frequently playing said please let them come down and play in the backyard you know whatever you need to do I said I need them away from this this scenario right now and you know I kind of explained what was going on to them but I was running back and forth up down the sidewalk I was calling making phone calls no one was answering their phone like I just felt like I was going into this black hole and I had no idea what to do and I wanted to get to the lake and they and the police officers were like no you just need to stay put they're doing all they can and I'm like no they're not I need to get out there you know and so yeah. that in that moment, it just felt like it was a movie, but um, in a nutshell, um, he was missing for four days. Um, mm. News media was everywhere when I showed up, but um, they ended up finding him um, the day before Father's Day, um, and, um, and that was eight years ago, but um, at, it's really a mystery of, like, he was a good swimmer. He loved water. Yeah.
1: Frequent water that. activities.
2: Yeah. Um he was very healthy. he was in shape, he was athletic um you know they they think it might have been a, what they call an undertow um in the water yeah. um which would like kind of pulls you um, there's really no answer to how so as of now i I stress water safety I don't care if you're you know the topest athlete swimmer.
0: Wear a life yeah, jacket. Yeah, I get angry because question. I'm like,
2: "Why did you jump in that water like that?" You know, because you think you're invincible. Um, he was uh, yeah. he was 35 years old. I was 34. Um, we were together 16 years since I was 18. Um, so, mm. you know, it's it, it, it was tough, and uh, you just don't ever think anything like that's going to
1: happen, and it did. <laughs> so. Yeah, that it's got to be tough, especially you know with. With water being involved, and that was my next question, you know, how do you, um, you know, going from that and, and um, when you're near the ocean or near the pool, how does that make you feel? And, and you answered my question, you know, you stress mm-hmm. safety when you're, yep. you know, in that environment, and that's awesome. That's awesome. And, mm-hmm. and I hate that, you know, when you go on vacation or whatever and then you're near the water, I'm, I just can only feel for you, you know. But right, you have to right. know what You have to do. You have to be strong, and you have to say, "Hey, I can turn this into good." And, and just stress safety, you know. You could, and that's exactly that, be, it. You, yeah, and you could be helping someone else. So, thank you for sharing. Thank right. you for sharing. Yes. Um, no. No problem. And, and next, we're going to go into the children's chapter. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to talk about that because, you know, the children. Um, they're hit hard in this as well. And and Chastity, you know, staying with you on the subject on page 22, you know, you wrote there is such pressure on me to raise these boys to the best of my abilities. But when you can't share some of that responsibility, it wears on you and breaks you down. This is where I am right now. No one with whom to mull it over, talk it out, or decide together on the best course of action. It's just me. You can rely on people for their opinions and advice, but when it comes down to it, you have to make that ultimate decision, and you are the one that truly has their best interests at heart. And then you and you follow with it takes two to tango. Two heads are better than one. Yes, I believe all those things. I'm so tired and worn out now. I'm not sure how much I can trust myself with those decisions I have to still make. Um, mm-hmm. Can you can you can you expand on that?
0: How where are you right yeah. now
1: with, you know, dealing with the loneliness and being lonely without your husband? Um, I I mean, when we wrote that book that was,
2: you know, some time ago. So I'm I'm into eight years now and um I'm going yeah. on eight years in June. Um I'm I'm at a a lot better of a place. Um, as yes. Maureen had yeah. mentioned, you know, I rely on my faith, Christianity and just my 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 support, my circle. Um, there's always a circle, you know, like you said, like I said in the book, when it comes down to it, it is you that has to have the final ultimate decision But you can also find that circle that you don't think you have in the beginning and and, and, and the, the circle changes. Um, it's not always going to be the same, you know, as seasons of life come and you grow into your, you know, you grow and you heal and because the healing does happen. Um, you just learn how to deal with it a better way Um, but I would say well my son is now I'm now I'm officially empty nester and that was a whole different adjustment Um, so um, that has happened the last couple of years and just you know going into that whole new adjustment was a wake-up call also Um, so um, but as as far as you know getting him off to college and just some of the things and decisions he's making and I, I helped with it. I'm proud of myself because I could look back on what I was trying to make decisions on in, in the beginning of my grief and I was like I was worried about that <laughs> you know so but I think I think as, as you grow and you're, you 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 transform into this person that you are becoming um as Maureen mentioned you you start being more confident in yourself and that that helps so
1: thank you thank you for that mm-hmm. um yeah and i'm glad you you know you shared with you know it was a while ago you did have you know the loneliness but now you're at a better place and, and right. that's encouragement for those who think that there's no better place you know healing does yeah. happen and, and that's mm-hmm. also You know, that's what you all say as far as Hopeful Widows organization. We'll get to that later. But um, thank you for sharing for that. And, and, you know, still dealing with, you know, that chapter, page 23, again, Chastity, Um, you said, I have prayed for Daryl to please come to me with some kind of message and advice, but none have come forth. Have you heard from him since? And I know this was back in 2015 when you wrote this. What has happened? Have you, you know have you heard little inklings
0: from the girl?
2: um I have a no um the dreams And you know, I always talk about it like I never have had those, and maybe it's something in my self conscious where I don't remember my dreams or something, but I will say, um there is things with butterflies, and you know I could sit here and Aww. probably go on and tell stories about the butterflies and give goosebumps but Um, There are signs of the butterflies. And, um, you know, there was one at the lake when, um, because at one point, um, my friend who had the boat, not the friend he was with, but um, a good friend of ours had a boat. And of course, you don't think anyone's doing anything good enough when it's looking for a loved one, or you know, you you want to do everything possible and imaginable. So we went and got on a boat ourselves and searched the lake probably for three hours, yelling out his name, calling out his name, and um, you know, looking for him, seeing if he was caught up in some you know bushes or you know over there in the land somewhere like deep off in there. And you know, we we did that for three four hours, and you know, mm. and my son and nephew were with me, and um, you know, at the end of that boat ride. that's when we officially knew that he wasn't probably coming back to us or, you know, something was very wrong. And, um, and, and in that moment, is when a butterfly had passed by us, and you know there's so many butterfly references that we have, but to this day, like Corey would you know my son would be playing football and a butterfly comes across the field in the middle of December, you know I mean, it's just things like yeah, you
0: know, wow. like that,
2: so but butterflies are our reference, but dreams and coming oh. to me not as much, no, no
1: well, butterflies are enough, i mean they're they're beautiful, yes, you know,
0: yeah, and yeah. uh.
1: That's still something to lean on, you know, every time you see a butterfly. Yes, there you go. Well, thank yeah. you so yeah. much for sharing. Yes, I I really thank you appreciate for that. And mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Sure. And I want to I move on to Maureen. Maureen, as far as, you know, we're in the chapter of, of the children. On page 25, you reference your, your daughters and that you're so proud of them. Um, you write, I'm so proud of my girls, though, after they cry. They always get back up and go on with their lives. They never stay and live in their pain. I love that about them. Yeah. Talk about that. How, how are they doing?
0: Thank you for asking. Um, awesome. Okay. And like Cassidy had mentioned, uh, we wrote that a few years ago because we started writing the book in uh, officially in 2013, But we, I mean, came together in 2012. So the book was a process of over four years. And um, I always look at it as we were writing the book from the storm ourselves. And I think Khadija and Chastity agree with that because we knew that there were ladies, sadly, coming after us who would need this message. And we get reports all the time about that. Meanwhile, um, that... The children are doing great. My oldest one now is uh, 15. My youngest one is seven. I have two girls. So when the tragedy happened, and that uh, was another thing why it almost took me under, was because my oldest was eight, and my youngest one was two months old. Okay. So here I am, um, and the word picture I always say is, uh, just imagine, Starting, I mean, I'm 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 at my husband's um, services and standing at the coffin with a two-month-old and an eight-year-old. And mm-hmm. where does that lady go from there? And all I can say is uh, God, because uh, I was just a broken mess, and my children brought me through. Although I'm their mother. They were what kept me, in my case, the mothering instinct overtook uh, hmm. my taking me totally under. And so hmm. to answer the question in a long way, but, you know, the kids are doing great, and they, of course, uh, for my oldest one who's 15, now when she was 12, that's four years after her father passed, Um, she came to me and said, Mom, when I was eight when Daddy passed, uh, I didn't even understand what was going on. She was starting to feel, she missed him, she knew, but the impact of that uh, as he was getting into junior high school and other girls were and the father-daughter dances and um, just missing him. The youngest one uh, who only knew him for two months was uh her experience is different she doesn't know what it feels like to even have a father and she you know would ask questions like in church oh well because when she asked me where's uh, my daddy and I would say with Jesus and we go to church every Sunday and she's like one Sunday and it almost broke my heart but it's so true she's like well are we going to see daddy at church today and I was didn't understand because I'm trying to rush and get out the door um well, what is, oh, well, he's with Jesus and Jesus is in that church. And so Aww. things like that along the way. And I, tried, I just, I didn't know what to say. I just, like, Jesus, uh, do what you got to do. Because I didn't really know what to say today. But stuff like that, mm-hmm. I, got, I got all kinds of stories, and I'm sure the and Chastity do too. But um, all I can say is we've been held by God, and we take one day at a time, and we have, and we keep moving. And where you're going to go, and you'll get there. And so, it's really hard when you the children because you have your own heart to deal with, and then you have their heart to deal with. And um, I don't know how they feel because my father just passed away two years ago, but he was 91, and so I had my father all my life, and yeah. So I can't even relate to my children on that level, but um, I do. I pray right. and I do the best. Yeah.
1: best. Yeah, and that's and that's what it takes, you know, one day at a time, like you said, and you just have to do the best you can. Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, um, thank you for sharing. You know, there was one statement you put on put in the book. Um, they are my heroes for real. <laughs> I pray a battalion of angels with UZIs to be encamped around them for protection. <laughs> that made me smile. That was, that was really sweet. That was really sweet. And it's um, And thank so you for sharing. You've
0: been protected.
1: And, Khadijah, um, moving on to you, page 27, mm-hmm. and we're still talking about the children. Um, you write, my biggest fear became making sure I was physically healthy to be here for my children. I had an unnatural trepidation of not being here for them while they were young and growing. I thought if God would take my husband, who was, in my opinion, a better parent, what would let them? what would let him keep me here? This is the first time I've brought this up and put it on paper. They say if you fear something, you should run to it and not from it. That was Mm. awesome. Mm. Um, Can
0: you expand on that? That that was awesome. (laughs) I'm so glad that you uh, read that particular excerpt. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was um, (laughs) awesome. Yeah, it's so funny how things come full circle because I'm really actually in the process now of. Um, dealing with my grief and I'm almost 10 years Mm. out and I know it may sound really strange to some of the people who may be listening and I've definitely been sharing in in your group and and other groups about my experience recently but I when my husband first died there was so much going on and you know, it's almost like you're putting out fires. You're putting out a bunch of fires that are, like, surrounding you, and you have your children, and, and you know, we were homeless at the time, so it was like, oh, I got to find somewhere to live, and, you know, I got oh to establish normalcy as much as possible. And in that, in those moments of, you know, putting out all of these fires, there was never really a thought of I have to sit down and deal with my grief. And I was um, g- seeing a counselor at the time. I, you know, my ch- I was making sure my children went to, you know, grief camps and finding ways for them to deal with their grief in the best way that I knew how. But I never, up until recently, never thought, oh, my gosh, I have not gone to grief counseling. I've gone and seen mm. psychiatrists for anxiety and and panic attacks and depression and this and that. So I've never really dealt with my own personal grief. And Mm. uh, it's coming, you know, at some point you're going to have to deal with it. At some point it's going to come straight at you and straight for you, and you can run as long as you can, like I did for 10 years you know, just running away, running away, running away, but yet here it is again. And so I'm at the place now where I am headed to grief counseling in in the next week or so uh, so that I can sit down with somebody and really talk about how I feel. And, you know, we know in the black community what our state is in terms of mental health and we don't deal with it or we we say pray and I'm all for prayer. I pray every day. I pray every day. I pray every night with a really good friend of mine. So it's it's not that I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray, but it's prayer and it's prayer and counseling. It's prayer and yes. talking. It's prayer and yes. you know whatever services or or things that you need to go along with that. So I hope I'm answering your question. Me, you you just, are. <laughs> <is awesome>. Okay. <laughs> but when I, yeah. you know, when you read that excerpt, excerpt, I'm saying, oh, my gosh, like, I'm back to that place. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh,
0: which, Yeah, which shows you that grief is not a linear thing, right? It's not some place yeah. that you're trying to get to or get away from. You know, it comes in cycles, it comes in waves, and it comes back around, and so, You know, I'm thankful that I have people in my corner. I'm thankful for your group. I'm thankful for this community that we are in that when such a thing happens that, that you don't have to feel or I didn't have to feel like, well, I can't say this because I'm, you know, I'm director of exactly. widows and, yeah. you know, I'm an author and, you know, I have all these wonderful titles and I can't tell people that I'm still dealing with grief. No, 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 no. Yes, hey, y'all, guess what? This is what's up. This is what's going on with right. me. And, I, you know, I'm sharing it to be transparent, but also to yes. say I need support and I need help. Yes.
1: Grief never, you know, Grief is something that can sneak up on us anytime. We think we're over it and boom. And like you're 10 years in and and you're saying that you need to go to counseling. You know, Mm -hmm. I was five years in. Just this year, I decided to go to counseling for myself. I went to counseling for my daughter. But this year Mm -hmm. is when I really realized I can't just hide in in my bedroom like I did in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And just this year, I thought I was over it. But, no, it just crept up on mm-hmm. me, and I started crying, and it was other things that I, I realized that I needed help on. So yeah. I applaud you for doing that. I really do. Um, thank you. <laughs> being that we, yes, yeah, thank you, we have about 12 minutes left. So uh, what I want to do is just I want to uh, read a bit of, you know, you. there's a coping mechanism chapter that you all have. I love it. I love it. Um, and if you don't mind, what, what Chastity wrote, you know, she has several bullet points on, you know, um, some of the ways that she copes. And chastity, if you don't mind, I, I'd like to touch on that and just um, kind of share it with the audience. You know, having the support of others, that's bullet number one, that's awesome. Bullet number two, isolating, gathering my thoughts, rejuvenating, sleeping, and just not talking about it. You know, bullet number three, getting counseling and what we've just talked about. Number four, staying busy. You've got to stay busy. Number five, helping others. You know, you talked about Cassidy um, when you're at, you know, in the in an environment with water. You're helping others just by ensuring that they stay safe, and that's awesome. Bullet number six, yes. talking about him. You have to talk about the, your husband. You know, no matter if it's one day or You know, 100 days or even, you know, after 10 years. I think keeping his memory cherished is important no matter what people think, you know, no no matter what people say to you. If you still post about him after 10 years, so what? Let those don't care about, you know, that memory. He and they are always going to be a
2: part of our lives ever, forever. Yes,
1: absolutely. Mm -hmm. You've got to talk about him writing about yep. it. You know, there's several bloggers um, who I truly appreciate, and just writing and, and reading what other other widows have to say and even widowers. It's, it's healing. Writing is healing therapy. You talk about yep. acknowledging his death and him overall. You do angel versaries. That's awesome. Trusting in God and praying. Yes. Eating, enjoying food. Oh, I love to do that. <laughs> You say, as strange as it may sound, and though it may not be the greatest, one of my ways of coping was to eat and be comforted by food. When I was bored, sad, or even alone, I would turn to sleep and food, and you still do at times. And eating is healthy. We got to live, right? (laughs) Right, right. I love apple pies. I love apple pies. I got to stay away from those (laughs) apple pies.
0: Listening to
1: songs and music, reading inspirational self-development spiritual books. That's awesome. Connecting through social media. Oh, yes. I think that is very important. You know, with technology, where technology is today, social media has an important part in allowing us to connect through other widows. That's how I found out about you all, you know? Mm -hmm. So social media can help, and, you know, sometimes it can hurt, but um, it really brings people together from all over the world, and for that, I truly appreciate, you know, that technology. So, you know, it's 1151 our time Eastern right now, and this time I just want you, you know, you three also have an organization called Hopeful Widows. Please tell the audience, a little something about that organization. I don't care who, you know, shares, just, I just want to hear about it, and I know the audience does as well. So this is your platform.
0: Did anybody um, speak up at once? Oh, no, no <laughs> nobody spoke <laughs> up at once. I was just waiting for Kebisha and Chastity. Go ahead. This is Maureen, Maureen um, and thank you for asking. And, and briefly, um, what I'll say is, in uh, writing the book over the four years when we finished and published it in August of two thousand and sixteen um the unwelcome committee uh we were we wanted to do more I guess in three all three of us, we knew that it was more to do because we just wanted to get the book out there, yes, but we wanted to help. We have a heart of service that's what we have, and so we knew that there were other ladies out there who um we wanted to find a way to connect um, with other type organizations like yours, Sabra, and just to see how we could help. And so, in doing that, Chastity, without their networking, we all were trying to connect with people in the grief industry and just how can we help um, through the book of uh, the grieving uh, community. And so, uh, Chastity, who I call our networking guru, which, see, God brings out talented people. We know in her four years, and she, we didn't even know that she was a networking guru. She was reaching out to people. She reached out to um, Gwen Peterson, who at the time was the director of Hopeful Widows. And I won't go into all of their stories, but it can be found at hopefulwidows.org. But meanwhile, Gwen was looking to move on in her life with other um, activities, and she was looking for a person or a group to take over Hopeful Widows. And Hopeful Widows had began in 2011 and 2012. And um, it's a foundation, a 501c3 foundation, nonprofit. And I'm making it, it's a it's a long story. I'm going to make it short. But in November of 2016, Chastity, Khadijah, and I became the directors of Hopeful Widows Foundation. Um, and Chastity, And Khadijah it has grown phenomenally. <laughs> right. I'm it was a blessing from God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I mean, go and, ahead, and just, add on because I know I yeah. whole
2: lot. No, I mean, it, I mean, it's just a community that needed to be. They have they provided a wonderful platform. We can't thank them enough. What we wanted and what we were looking for to do was going to take us four, five, six years to even put together. We can't tell you how blessed we were when we came upon this opportunity to just already have a platform in place. And where we had to revive it, basically, and then kind of mm-hmm. make it our own um so we we are blessed to know that we have a community where we can start just helping widows, and that's the thing widows are helping widows um and we
1: mm-hmm. hope to bring
2: a lot more initiative, in on you know into play, and you know a lot more to come in twenty eighteen but um I think we've got we've gotten pretty far we're just being three or four months in, so um we're we're excited what the future yeah. holds. Katisha, do you have anything to add?
0: Um <laughs> you guys <laughs> stated everything perfectly. Yeah. Uh you know, I think that one of my favorite quotes is every heartache, every failure has a seed of good in it. Yeah. And when you first become a widow and you're losing your husband, and you're losing love for your life, and you're losing this whole part of your life that you're no longer going to have, there's no way you can fathom that. Yeah. But somehow along the way, if you make the choice, and, you know, Maureen, Chastity, and I really made the choice that we were going to serve other people, the doors will just start opening, and this literally started from a conversation that we had in 2012 that we mm-hmm. thought it was important to let people know what grief really looks like. Because a lot of the books are very sanitary and they, you know, they say it's like this and it's like that. And we were like, hmm, no, it's not. You know, there's there's so many different things that go through your mind. And um, as a result of us just having that conversation okay. and sticking together and being that source of strength and talking and having the ability to talk to one another, the doors just started to open for us in order for us to really find our purpose to serve. Yes.
2: Right. Know, because we awesome. all
0: knew we wanted to serve in some capacity. We just didn't know how it was going to show up. And right. And and what do we say? There's 800,000 800, women a year that are widowed. a year.
2: Mm -hmm. a year so I mean everyone has their groups and you know you know there's all kinds of groups out there and and if one more is added it's needed you know not everyone's going to connect with a certain group and you know it's not about competition or we're worried about oh someone's going to do this or that It's, it's 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 about coming together and collaborating. And, and if, if, you know, we can think of something and help each other, then great. That's what we're here for. Our heart is to serve and to help, not to compete and not to, to, you know, try to be one up or anything like that. We, we, there's 800,000 women and that's just in the U S we, that's not even counting the international women. So, you know, that's, that's, that's our main goal is to help, and serve regardless, because that's in our heart. So it was always more about the book. It was more, it was never just about the book. We always said that. So we are here to serve and to help, whatever that may be. So
0: absolutely. And I wanted to ask, thank you, ladies. Oh, okay. oh, I'm sorry. And I, I think for all four of us, we're all widows, and um, that's great company. But I think we all would agree that one of the worst parts of becoming a widow was. Especially as young as we were, to relate, and that's what I love about Hopeful Widows because we uh, relate, we care, we understand. I felt so isolated, and even to this day, that's one of my issues. Is I I am still isolated because widows, and we hear from the group members all the time, no one understands them. And when you come to a Hopeful Widows type of organization, you will get understanding. All right, all
1: right. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much. well, we're about to end. We're at the end of the uh, program, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, as always, for tuning in, whether you're on live right now or post-broadcast. This is Saber Robinson, founder of Black Women Widows Empowered, an organization and network focused on empowering widowed women of color as well as providing avenues to bringing together all widowed women via our Dinner Heels and How-To Dinner series of various events, such as Learning How to Date as a Widow, How to Become an Unstoppable Black Woman, and our upcoming series of How to Cope with Grief and How to Take Care of Your Inner and Outer Beauty. Listeners, thanks for joining us. And remember, there's a time to inhale and a time to exhale and a time to just scream it all out. And I got that from a nugget from the Unwelcome Committee book. Until next time, Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies. You have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Love you guys.
0: You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.